0: Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by the Maine Historical Wargamers Association. They're the folks behind Huzzah! Historical Wargaming or New England. Huzzah takes place May 15th to the 17th, 2020 at the Doubletree in South Portland, Maine. Experience some of the best historical wargaming at Huzzah! Visit www.huzzahcon.com for more information. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by Enfilade. Enfilade is a flagship historical wargaming convention for the Northwest Historical Miniature Gaming Society. Enfilade is held annually over Memorial Day weekend at the Red Lion Inn in Olympia, Washington. Enjoy the largest historical miniature gaming convention west of the Mississippi at Enfilade. Visit www.nhmgscitadel.com for more information. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by The Wargaming Company. Wish you could play a great Napoleonics wargame that's different from the same old stuff? Try ESR! ESR makes Napoleonics accessible. A complete system with you as a core commander. Start an army with ESR box sets or use your existing collection. It's meaty enough for diehards but friendly for newcomers. Visit The Wargaming Company Welcome, everyone. I am Jonathan J. Reinhardt, and you are listening to the newest episode of Wargaming Recon. Wargaming Recon is the only member of the TSR Podcast Network to discuss historical and New England gaming. And today, we are going to dive into a world inspired by North mythology that will take you into a place where you can try to do just about anything you want, as long as it's on the tabletop. Because we're going to be looking at a brand new role-playing game that's out from Works Games, W-R-K-S Games, and it's called Jordanheim. It's inspired by a uh, computer game, and we think this is something that you should all hear about, but you don't have to take my word for it, because... We are lucky enough to be joined by the founder of Works Games, Kaz. Kaz, how are you today?
1: I am very well, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having us today.
0: I am really excited about this, and I've been looking forward to us having this chat. I know we've had to uh, reschedule it for well, twenty twenty is an unusual year, right?
1: It has it has indeed been an unusual year, but we have gotten
0: yeah, and you have been working so hard actually on all sorts of things. I admire that you are juggling. A, a lot of different properties at the moment. Uh, of course, continuing to support your computer games, I'd love to hear more about. Uh, and then this brand new tabletop role playing game based off a world that you kind of created. Do you want to just tell people a little bit about Works Games and kind of uh, its origins and its purpose in life?
1: Yes, yes indeed, I can. Uh, so yeah, Works Games uh, has actually got quite a large uh, philosophy. Way back in the day, about twenty, people we'll started a, a tabletop publishing company, based publishing company before you know it became a thing. Called Sylvan Publishing, uh, and then went on to that, to, from that to do technology product development, broad strokes at least. But the goal was also to start a game, uh, and I eventually wound up doing it when I was forty-one. Uh, and well, there were a couple of things at that point because, of course, the idea had evolved, and and I wanted to do something quite substantive, like something that would occupy you know half of life, doing something grand. So Works Games has got a pretty big philosophy. It. Um, at its root, we build. We're we're building worlds. That's what we do. Um, and we're good at the lore, the crafting of the lore, the storytelling. We're building content. Jordan are the first one. Uh, and I am Swedish now, naturalized as a Swede, living in the United Kingdom and about to be British. So it's multiple nationalities floating around in there. But I know Sweden very, very well. Uh, and I've been interested in Norse mythology since I was a very, very young person. So I feel I've I got that mythology down pretty well as well. So it seemed like a natural sort of thing. And when we started building this four years ago, there was not a lot happening in the Viking-inspired gaming world. I mean, there's boatloads now. Uh, and we saw it coming, and we are not the only ones who figured out that it's not plane. But even with that in mind, we are actually, we've actually got something quite unique, because we custom-built everything. Uh, and the Jordenheim universe is our first universe in which we are building content. So the content is right quite di- diverse. We have PC and console games, which we have one launched. We have uh, our tabletop game, the first one is now out. Uh, We have comics, the first one is out. We have motion comics, the first one is about to be out. Um, And as you progress down this line, as we become more successful as a company, I'd like to see things like a regular uh, serial uh, uh, eventually be set in Mordenheim world. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, But basically, we have long content plans stretching out multiples across the inside. And then the idea is, so Works Games is largely about this. Um, and then it's also about trying to make sure we're adding some value to it. It's not, it's not just uh, uh, the philosophy, the one of adding consumer value, but, uh, which is where more the work store come in. Um, and also looking at ourselves as an employer in the form of who are we as a company and defining all of that. So I've had a lot of time to think about all of these things. Uh, and as a result of that, the, the company is in that sort of state where we have like a clear plan. It's stretching the next decade, those milestones at a time. Uh, and that's basically the company in a nutshell. And we have all of these wonderful
0: Yeah, you have quite a team, actually. Uh, For those who want to head on over to your website, it's drks-games.com. You list a lot of people. And nowadays, with the wonder of being able to do things online, I'm going to guess you're decentralized. Is that true?
1: completely yes right from the back even my company 20 years a virtual company so i've always been partial to the idea and i think for us i mean because of the stuff that we're trying to do to be done at a very high quality to be done you know by really really solid talent to make sure we're from around the world it can't be england uh and so it had to be uh, and it started out as a little man team year one and we are now 12 regular at some level i would say it's um the lowest amount of contribute be about two two and a half days a month for artists, videographers who don't have like to do but the time down to two weeks a month uh, as uh, at the at the top level typical the game developers back in.
0: Um, I've noticed because you have a uh, a Discord server as well. I've noticed on there that you engage a lot with your community and one of the things that you regularly do and I really like this is there's a lot of um, back and forth about development of your computer game property. Uh, why don't we talk about that for a little bit? Because uh, that yep. kind of was uh, an early genesis for all this, wasn't
1: it? It, it was. Uh, so Bloodborne into the Shroud is where we all started, the PC game. Um, and uh, it's, that's a good example of our ethos as a company and how we develop. We develop not at all in the companies, typically of games, because normally game development companies are hidden away for a while. They work for you. They throw it out there and go, ha ha, this is our creation. Um, and that's a way to do it. Um, but I also think that, you know, on the one hand, we want to make sure we're building games people actually want to buy. It. And on the other hand, we're building a product, so we should engage in that pathway. So the way we build games is we, we tend to build like a functioning, well-functioning prototype, and we throw it out into the market, stay in like a developmental state and a half where our goals is goals find a good happy middle game as he wants uh, and blood bond is a great uh, example of this because it started out we've been in early access for like a year and a half but is now in we're about to come. um with the finished product you can play the first two chapters uh, on on uh, on Steam today uh, and then the, the the full five chapters will be now out in December and uh, the, this is very much an example of, of a game built by the kid it looks the way it does it the way it and because of the stellar community feedback we got for the
0: what kind of led you to have um, a heroine? Uh, as in a lot of times when people experience these yeah. kind of games, they tend to be more from a masculine point of view. Uh, were there any yeah. sort of a criteria that you had, or was this a, a particular interest, or uh, what kind of gave that uh, idea into your head?
1: So, another great question. And it speaks once again to our, again to our process because here's another thing really from other companies. Most game companies begin with a game design document, which is a really detailed, it's going to be. That's not how we start. We start with the story, and we originally decided to start with a story where you could play as the brother or the sister. Um, and uh, we started evolving that story, and the way that that usually happens, is it comes in the form of a script, very simple. And as we were writing the script, this is a coming-of-age tale, and, and you know every single game that we develop in Works Games has got to have a "to the gamer." And in this game, we are exploring. Uh, the, the relationship a child has with their parents growing up, because it's something more related. You've got like your childhood, your parents. And then as you're growing up, you realize your parents are, and then you have an adult relations with them. How does that look? So what we've done is we've taken that idea and dramatized it with adventure, where your parents here are literally here. Uh, and, uh, but as you grow up in this in the story and as the story evolves, you realize that good and bad are shades of gray that what you thought your parents were or not thought what they were, how do you react to it, how do you find your own heroine, your definite yourself. That's what we're exploring in this game. And it started out with two characters. But what we realized as we were writing it is that how a daughter interacts with her father and mother and how a, a son interacts with the mother and fa- her father are totally different. The dialogue is different, how you talk is different, how you reach other. Is, how society is different. So we realized we would have to create two completely different scripts if we were going to do this, two completely different kinds of games. Didn't have the scope, the budget, or the wherewithal to do both. So we thought, what story do we want to tell? Uh, And at the end of the day, it was the story, the heroine at the focus, that was the one we wanted to tell. Uh, And that's how Astrid wound up winning uh, as the main character.
0: I think that's really provocative because... uh... You don't see that a lot in the fact that you really did have that focus of story, I think is huge because far too often I've encountered electronic games where uh, let's just say they have placed a lot of emphasis on making it um, flappy and maybe not having as much substance to it. Uh, and consequently, I personally end up losing interest in them very quickly. Uh, but the games that have more of a a story to it or or really engage me uh, have that longer-lasting appeal.
1: A common problem. I have examined gaming for a very long time, and I still game every day, and and I I find I can't stay with most games just not engaging. And during this year and a half, one of the things we learned, a very gratifying thing indeed, is that every single person who comments on the game comments on the same positive aspects and finds the same flaws, Um, which is very good, because as a game designer, you don't want your... Uh, and building a game that is the same thing to every person, exactly what we... Uh, and we're, the response we've always gotten back is the level of even the depth of the depth of the story, the engagement, jordan Heimer, as you can literally explore here. <coughs> those are the things we're winning at. The things we were winning less at was things like mechanical things, like combat was not as good. This is not a combat-focused game, so no one actually cares about that. But from a game design perspective, when you're working on a limited budget, limited time frame, and a limited scope, you always have to pick priorities. And because of the kind of game this was, and because of the kind of story we wanted to tell, we had to focus on a game that was story-heavy, exploration- and immersion-heavy, seemed to have based on feedback to do with that. Uh, and we're getting people who are drawing parallels for like an indie version of, uh, of Horizon Zero Dawn or Witcher 1, which is great news because we never mentioned at any point to anybody what games actually served as the inspiration for this game, and those two games in particular are one of are two of my favorite RPGs. We no doubt had a new part in subconscious design of the of the game, so I was really happy to hear that feedback coming unsolicited.
0: I think that you've also really you talked about having a limited uh, budget, limited resources, right? And of course, the story is the center point. But I think you also really nailed the aesthetics of it. It is a beautiful looking game. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the trailers. I've seen some gameplays. It looks like it was made by a much larger studio with many more resources at hand.
1: Yes, we are very pleased with that particular part. Um, uh, and this is a, this 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 is not how we're going to do a game it was solo developed by me. Uh, and we oh have my goodness, time. yeah, it's a very unusual thing. And and it's it's uh, the 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 quality standard we aim for in the CDAA standard level of game. Uh, and uh, I do feel we got there. Uh, and if you look at the total amount we spent across all the all that we did on this game of development, barely 400,000 um, pounds. And it's an amazing, amazing that we managed to get there on this, something I'm really pleased about. And this is a testament performance that worked on because the whole team total was maybe about six people over the last three years who worked on this game. And, and, and as you touched on, it looks like a game that came out of a much bigger studio. Um, and a lot of the great industry and publishers we're getting for the game today is because of the fact that, that we managed to put such a small budget and such a small in that amount of time. Uh, and we're, we're, I'm super pleased with the look. I mean, I worked for long to get that look right. It was a lot of effort. I probably spent about a year just on the aesthetic because one of the things we didn't want to do is copy other successful games. We wanted to have a look that nobody else had, which we had to craft it ourselves. Uh, and it, it looks good in the way that only our game looks good like another game. It looks good like our game, which is something we really badly want. Uh, so I'm very pleased uh, that uh, that you think that. And I'm, I'm I'm very happy that we got there as a, as a small year.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking at it, uh, for me, it, it reminds me of the level of quality And something that you'd see like in a a Tomb Raider game or uh, some of the Elder Scrolls, things of that nature, where there's just so much emphasis placed on appearance, but not for appearance sake, but because to me anyway, it conveys uh, a deeper meaning of really trying to hone in and tie into the story again. And just kind of calling back to that, that if you you read a novel, for example, uh, especially if you read someone like Dickens or Tolkien, uh, They will describe every blade of grass, whether you want to know it or not. But in a video game, you can't really do that. And so when story is as important, you need to be able to to show it in a way so that it conveys uh, that to the user and for them to have an emotional experience, I think. And I think this is something that users will have who play your game. I, I think they'll actually just get those warm, fuzzy feelings and they'll feel connected to the character, which is really important.
1: Yep, the aesthetic was actually really story driven because we when we originally launched the Jordanheim Units, one of the first things we did was actually launch the comic. The comic is created by our one of our first artists, Cornelia Business, a South Africa young lady who has a stellar talented her line art and colouring bracket. Uh, and she was actually uh, employee number two. Uh, and the aesthetic she put into the comic was so unique. I felt that we, into the game, the idea that you are actually playing inside of a comic. I want to feel like you're inside comic panels. And the cinematics and the story is told in the game in literal comic panels that pop up and tell you the story uh, as it fills in as you're going through it. Uh, and what the, making the entire game feel like a comic where you line art around every the object and that con- not cell shading like in a cartoon, but comic shading. See, like, at a distance, things are shaded more and detailed less. Where at the foreground, things are more detailed and, and shaded in a particular way. This kind of style is how the game plays out in the actual game itself. So it, it took a lot of effort, and we did it very particularly. Of course, there's never a 100% win-win scenario This came at. One, it costs to accept it. It is. It requires quite a chunky play this in a performance. So, unfortunately, low-end people struggled in the game, whereas you kind of need an upper, mid, and higher played well. Uh, and I'm hoping that when this now comes out in December, so technically, version is coming out next, and graphic cards these days are very. I'm hoping that people well equipped for to actually game at its full ultra sensational.
0: I'm fascinated by your mention of how the comic came first. Uh, and, and that's for me, really, that's because I, I come from a background of I, I work in a library, uh, but I used to be a reviewer uh, to help libraries and library staff decide what graphic novels uh, to purchase. And so I've reviewed and written for a variety of things to kind of uh, just talk about all this and uh, a lot of things that you mentioned. And I've spent a lot of time uh, with coffee comics as I think is probably common for people of my age. And the Jordanheim one both feels really familiar and so new at the same time. But I absolutely love, and this is totally a personal uh preference, but I absolutely love the art style. I the fact that it hits those points that you mentioned about um Use of depth and uh, importance of shading and when to and when to not do that. It has so many callbacks for me uh, to certain classic comics, but also uh, uses things in a nice and new way. It's refreshing and interesting and just kind of, again, immersive. I keep on coming back to the word. I I presume that's uh, intentional on your part. It's such an immersive experience and also so cohesive. You've done a wonderful job of really... Unifying everything together uh, into one umbrella, and that does not often happen.
1: No, that's interesting that you that you noted that because the the again this is an area where we're very odd. What most game companies do is they throw out a bunch of games over a few years. They see which one wins. Uh, and then they build a universe around that. So you retrofit the, the game after it's built. So it can never be 100 We went through a much, because this is a completely self-funded uh, company, for big run after short-term money. Uh, we took a much, much bolder approach and universe first. And this cohesion you're talking about, you get that inherently. I mean, some people did very precisely the way you've understood others will get it subliminally and just as a side conscious of the content the universe canon is very very strict very cohesive very well planned and that's because we started with the universe first and everything comes out of there. so there's no parts that are jarring this shouldn't in fact our content plan stretch into three to five years we know what we're doing for the next three to five years because we planned it already and blood bond is a three three game series that was planned three years ago with the storylines tying across all three three games which is why this cohesion exists and you can only do that if you have the kind of boldness as a way we are doing to really commit to a unity one and say we are going to make rather than waiting to see what might be, and then trying to retro the lore into
0: it. I think that's a perfect segue to get to the role playing game Jordanheim because uh, I I know a fair sounds like a boasting I know a fair number of um, game designers uh thankfully from doing the show and a large number of them are involved in the role-playing game space and almost to a person i think they would say that for them a core aspect of role-playing game is the world building and the story involved with it and me personally i'm more on a outer sphere i guess you could say of role-playing games i'm making my way a little bit further deeper into it but i actually had talked with some members of my team who are are far more involved with role-playing game uh, about jordenheim and uh your world building and the role-playing game and uh one of them in particular had just this beautiful comment for me uh and her name is erin and she said quote i love the lore absolutely absolutely positively adore it such a beautiful mesh of north mythology gods monsters heroes etc and scandinavian historical context culture government geography etc uh unquote and she she's someone for whom i know um enjoys when role-playing games have combat or puzzles and things like that to solve. but for her it's really about collaborative storytelling uh and i know that she had remarked as well that jordenheim seems to try to tackle a variety of things that may not normally play well together and yet generally manages to do it do you want to kind of just extrapolate on the role-playing game and your vision for it and just kind of some of your actual gameplay goals for it? i know you didn't do the gameplay mechanics uh so much but that uh just kind of maybe some criteria or an ethos that you wanted to instill into the role-playing game
1: yeah certainly can first of all how awesome that that she got that from the from the book and this is something we've we've uh, again from a game design point of view which is very validating for us is this was also a product that had a specific game design focus Uh, and when we design games in the company i lay down the framework of what i want the structure the ethos but i let other people um, because there's uh, it is important to have specialists do what they uh, and no one person is a specialist uh, and the bit, if you look at what, what my role in game design is, and that was this product as well, is to make sure that that framework, the structure, the alignment. Uh, and when we designed this game, there were a few really specific things. Um, a, a role-playing game book like this is, A, it's, it's a product. So in a digital form, in a printed form, it's a product. And we wanted a very, very high-quality product. And then content-wise, this was designed, the, 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 the Jordanheim RPG is actually three books. And this is the first of the three books, and we knew it would take us to get all three. So we needed a, a, a rule book, a core rule book, that had a setting in it and a rule set. So we knew this was going to be a pretty meaty book. But as you say, role-playing games are primarily about storytelling. And something we found in tabletop games, as the industry has matured, is that stuff's gotten pretty damn complicated. I mean, the storytelling part gets interrupted. Mechanics are so complicated. Um, And to some degree, Dungeons & Dragons, one might, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Dungeons & Dragons. Amazed, an amazing job Hasbro has done since acquiring. But something I found with D&D a lot is that the flow of storytelling dies in combat. We've got so much dice involved that you just can't progress the story. So one thing we wanted to do was to have a really in-depth lore and setting from which adventure. And we spent a good third of the book on the setting. So you have the Jordanheim world in all of its glory—the geography, the culture, the economy, the structure, the power source—everything's there. And uh, as one reviewer of ours quoted very well, even a cursory skimming of that will ideas will spring to. And this is exactly what we wanted with the setting. We wanted to be a place where it and I can tell, and I can tell a lot of because it may be, you know, a year before we get the next book. Some time on it, and I think that that was kind of one of the core design focuses. Then the problem I had with that is, what then do we do? Because picking the rule set here is no picnic, because again, we're universe-focused first. If I pick a rule set for the Jordanheim universe, every single game we build on this universe is going to be based off this, so it has to be a winner to start with. Uh, and we have a design ethos in the company where we want any game we do to appeal to hardcore games, but to be accessible to novices. You sh- it should be pick up and play for those that want to at the top level, at the surface level, and for those that wish to dig into depth, it should be there. So Dan, who is the writer of the of the mechanics, who said we borrowed it from uh, way back in the day, 20 years ago, when I had Sylvan Publishing, I met Dan then uh, and helped him publish the Eldritch, which was which was the precursor, which is now called Plifony, uh, And he took a version of that and crafted a jordanheim specific variant of the Plyphony and uh, one of its its value is the fact that despite the fact that there's a lot of dice involved there's not a lot of rolling in. so you can have a fast-paced combat set that flows nice narrative drama and action very fluid dice rolling and mechanics in there to actually resolve the game and it was a clever people set in that. it has all the depth of what you'd expect from an advanced system be extended be customized but at the at the face level you can spend 20 minutes learning how to play it and then just get on with it. Uh, and it had all of that virtue. And, and I, I'm going to credit Dan with having done a sensational job of taking the uh, the framework that I gave him and built out the lore behind Jordanheim in a sensational way. We've seen from multiple, very, very how the lore turned out. Uh, and uh, a very experienced Eva in charge of the quality on our books and the collaborative effort with Eva and what is the result you're seeing in front of you.
0: Now, I- I know those who are really into role-playing games. Uh, if you were to ask them what systems they really like or which ones they play the most, uh, you could have a 10 year conversation with them uh, about it. <laughs> and that also makes it, I think hard for some of them because they are so invested in certain pre existing systems for them to be willing to try something new without having any sort of reference point or familiarity uh, so on that point, in uh, knowing that Jordanheim is its own thing, it's separate and it's different, what sort of zones of commonality would it have to maybe some other uh, major role-playing game systems or mechanics that might feel um, comfortable to people?
1: Okay, so uh, to answer the first part of the question, um, this is something that came up in playtesting. Uh, and we found during playtesting that people struggled a little bit to understand the system because there wasn't anything strictly like it, so there's no point of reference. Uh, and in order to deal with that, we have created a quick start guide. So the book comes with quick start guides. We also have used it now as well to help people get up and running fast without needing to get overly bogged down into the book for their first. So we've we tried to onboard people snappily that way. However, I would say it does share a great deal of commonality with a lot of DICE D20 stylish playing games. There are, however, some areas where we have diverged. So for example, uh, there is no real reason to have a character's stat blocks, like strength, uh, defense, power, etc., be a like a bunch of numbers, and then traits and ability a completely different set. Options. So in this game, there's no difference. I mean, basically, they're all traits. You've got some some basic set of traits and abilities that are your character's traits, and, so courage, uh, devotion, perception, power that govern your character. Then you've got your ability like archery, rolling, and blades, and you can add those as you need. The first six are common to everyone. And they all work in exactly the same way. It's a tree structure. You've got a base, ability and you have a bunch of sub-ability. You can specialize along the way. So I think anybody who's kind of used to working a ability structure like learning cycle through their character development, pick this up and play very well. because there's no other statistics to learn. Everything is a base uh, ability and then a bunch of sub ability everyone can and most likely will get the base ability, and then you specialize in the sub-ability. Pretty simple. Uh, and all of these abilities have got five ranks of either average, respective, great, or phenomenal. And based on that, that adds a die roll that, that modifies your die roll when you are executing even time. And then we've tried to make the rolling fluid so that you can do your attack, defense, and your, uh, your damage levels or defense levels with the same die roll instead of doing it across multiple die rolls even though different dice are used for different things you typically only need to roll it once to carry out an entire combat well which makes that very fluid as well so i think if you are used to multi-die mechanics as a general baseline and you are used to traits and ability based role-playing games you will get into this very quick
0: it kind of reminds me and maybe this was uh, some sort of subconscious uh Uh, decision there, it kinda reminds me of like a tech tree in say playing like an Age of Empires kind of game or a civilization kind of game where you're learning whatever ability for your nation, so to speak, uh in in this case in your person, and then you become more proficient in it and then you progress from like uh code of laws to your writing to having, you know, so forth and so forth. Uh just kind of having that sort of nature to it. So you can also kind of map out, I think more easily how you wanna go. uh, uh, as I mentioned, my experience with role-playing games is more limited. Uh, but one of the things that I've often found frustrating is that when creating a character and also looking at potential character uh, leveling, leveling up, so to speak, it's kind of hard to have all the necessary information for the traits and abilities and so forth in a easy to find and easy to use uh, place without flipping back and forth between a lot of pages. Uh, so having right. something like this, almost like a flowchart, uh, really can be, I think. Very user friendly.
1: Well, this is exactly like, I mean, in fact, I think one of the one of the things that one of our early reviewers did was actually describe it as an enemy, which is exactly what it is. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a nice way to describe it as well, because it's quite easy to understand. Once you kind of get into it, it clicks through. So it's a nice way to to actually use it. And also, they're negative, they're disadvantaged. So everything used to have a character when you will acquire it.
0: Ooh. A, a thing for me recently uh, is an interest in unusual characters and abilities and playing styles and i'm gonna completely uh, uh give this as uh, uh inspiration from um, uh, a twitch channel that i've been watching nerd uh is this fellow on twitch who does D D 5e games using dwarven forge train he has this whole gigantic beautiful table and what he's doing right now uh which really fascinates me is he has this one campaign that he's doing and he has two separate parties that are playing it. One party plays as uh, their standard good characters, and the other one are evil. And very rarely have I encountered anyone being willing to have a game where characters are, have to be evil, genuinely evil. And it's just, it's so not in the script. And I, I like that in the ability tree for you and I, you aren't always trying to have that positive attribute uh, that the option. It's just you'd have maybe a little more depth and nuance in it by having uh, a,
1: it was uh, Indeed, and we actually get into it even with the classes, because we, you have what you kind of expect uh, in the form of classes, and you've got like the berserker so is the, the viking warrior, you imagine big white viking warrior gigantic, two axes, yadda yadda which is great. But then you also have, uh, because this world is happening at a time when uh, Christianity, uh, well, we have an invented didn't call Christianity with a K, but basically, Jordanheim is built on an inspiration of history uh, in from medieval times in the time when Christianity was coming. It was challenging pantheon and the pagan books, and society. Was. So there's also different different classes because there's like the more traditional European militia, which came with that contingent of missionaries that came that way. So you can play a Hermidor, which is basically fully armored uh, in leather mostly, uh, but armored uh, character, which is more the traditional professional soldier. Um, there are multiple um, mage classes, but we have a god touch because as part of the law in Jordanheim, only women can be as in, because um, the gods have selected women to carry the power of the conduit and function as a go between the mortal realms, the shroud which is the magical. And they are the keepers of the balance, similar to a druid in European... Uh, and only women are allowed to wield this. Occasionally, however, uh, a man is, is imbued with it, usually accidentally. Uh, these people are God-touched, and they can only carry wild magic. And as they progress in life, they're ever mad, eventually self-destructive. And I can imagine that playing a God-touch is going to make for some entertaining times in some, in some gay character. Because similar to the Thulu mythos, eventually, you are going to go mad and die. <laughs> the question is whether or not you're going to take out your entire group on the way out. Uh, and so you can have some fun with the god touched uh, And you could also, you can imagine from a role-playing perspective, imagine having a, um, a rune caster, which is a really traditional witch that doesn't even cast spells but imbues things with spells through runes. Very, very close to all pagan gods. In a party together with a Hermadur, which is basically a knight uh, whose entire purpose is to protect missionaries of Christ in the same party this is going to make for some great role play so I'm, I'm hoping people roll with it i i
0: it's brilliant you just your description of the god touch has me laughing
1: because it I, I can picture
0: it. it it's it's wonderful
1: there's a there's actually a god touched in the pc game and i'm not going to spoil the the story here because a pivotal part of the story but you actually run into a god touched in-
0: that's i love it uh i'm someone who, when I have played role-playing games, uh, and I think I played... Let's see, I played... Are you familiar with a game called Torg? It's an older game uh, where you basically can go to a variety of different planets and spaces, and each one has its own rules. Some might be magic-heavy or tech-heavy. You can travel through time. There might be dinosaurs that wield lightsabers or whatever. Um, uh, Very old, uh, older game. Uh, That and Dungeons & Dragons fourth edition which i know is notorious <laughs> for people but that was my foray into D and um yep. i tend to gravitate towards one of two types of characters uh either a magic user uh in part because that's what i've played when i played world of warcraft <laughs> and also a paladin um for my uh, personal sense of uh right and wrong <laughs> and just the yeah. the way that you kind of Twisting these common tropes is... It's delicious. I love it. I, I really, really yeah,
1: like it. Yeah. Paladin class, you, you the, the, the the literal Christian missionary is a very reminiscent of a paladin. It's called a press tour in the game. Uh, and he's the only class in the game that gets magic from the Christian god. And uh, So he is equivalent of the paladin. Uh, I would say the one... Uh, this has been noted by one of the reviewers of the game as well. And I do think it's a downside. And it's a downside where... Um, you can only play Humanoid classes. Oh, okay. Um, right, right now in the core rulebook, every class has got to be. Uh, this is intentionally so. We are going to roll out in the future the rule set and the way to. It's quite complicated. We didn't want to rush it. You have to. The, the baseline rule to work, and there's quite a lot of game tech. But this is a good time to talk about the Shroud, because the Shroud is basically where magic lives. And way back in the history of, of Jordenheim, the Shroud and the rift was one. Uh, and as the Viking population started to become more dominant and challenged the gods and challenged the magic, the Shroud kind of receded from areas. Like in the Denmark region, there is no Shroud, because that's the part that connects it to the rest of the world. That's fully civilized. Magic is banned. You're not allowed to be a magic. Uh, there's money, wealth, economy, and Christianity. And then as you head out into Sveria, which is kind of the middle ground, where two are in, in good sync, in Noria, you have very heavy uh, use of uh, Shroud magic, but close to the Shroud. You Can dip into it kind of like a fog, uh, and when you dip into it, you're into the shrouded realm, which has its own ecology, but it kind of exists as a in Suomi, however, in which is you know where Finland is today, they rejected modern life and or well, modern, like modern civilizational growth, and they are one with the shroud, the, the ancient. So, the, the Swarmy border is very well protected by monsters and gods, and towards the rest, but inside the Swarmy land, man and magic live side by side you can wander into a swarmy town and and be sold the local bed by a troll at a bazaar right next to uh, a a human character so there's intermingling between the races and th- this is where mixed classes and mixed races come in this is why we didn't rush this in the core rule book an entire book by itself the the the, the playable creature classes are coming but in order to do it in a lore line, properly structured, properly explained way, because this, of course, opens up a can of words and how exactly uh, and wh- where where does the little mini god come from? Uh, what is a deity, a, a demigod? And the Viking mythology is full of them, tons of them. So uh, we, we need to have a really good anchor point for this in the game. So we didn't want to rush it in the core rule book, but it is. I
0: love it. There's, just, there's so much attention to detail. And I tell you that, in my experience, does not exist in many properties. Yeah, we did Um, spend
1: three years on on just the lore happening in parallel to all the other stuff. Wow. Uh,
0: One of the things that I would like to touch on, uh, and I think this is something that can be helpful to people who, well, I was going to say who are new to this, but it's it's a new game, so everyone's new to it. Uh, (laughs) um, But to really kind of help them maybe to uh, dip their toes in without feeling uh, overly invested, uh, is that On your storefront where people can buy the book, you actually have, and I'm looking at it uh, right now, but you have some free sample PDFs of things like character sheet and some of the characters. Uh, So like Astrid, for example, uh, I happen to be looking at right here. It's just, it's a a free, quick PDF download. And I think in this day and age, this kind of stuff is uh, a necessity, but not, again, not every organization or company does it but i think this is just really helpful for people to see what a character might look like and to be able to then uh print off as many blank character sheets as they need to create their own characters and things like that and i think it can kind of help people to piece together how things can and maybe should look uh yeah what sort of thinking went into this on your end and, and what kind of importance for Not only for creating it and doing it, but also for making it accessible in the design of character sheets, for example, and um, the layout and uh, things like that.
1: Okay. So, yeah, I do think this is a necessity. Uh, I know partly this is part of our quick start and onboarding process to be able to preview what this will be like before they buy the book. Because this is a medium product. It sells for $99. Uh, considering the fact that it's $142, books, that's a pretty good value for money there. But still, it's not a cheap. Uh, and so uh, at the end of the day, we wanted to, I mean, I do think that uh, a lot of what we contain is a lot of free content, and then some high-end this is a good example. We do have free, uh, freely downloaded, pre-generated characters, so you can pick up and play directly uh, for every class. We have a character that you can download and play with the updates, the, the values at them in. Uh, and then the site itself, Jordanheim.com, is basically, as it, as a whole, a preview of the RPG. When you click around the site and explore, and this site was designed to be embraced in content, explored over, over time, you will get a pretty good understanding of the a preview of what the, the game in the world is like. So there, there's basically mini tasters of uh, all aspects of the game available. And you can just take a browse around, get in, get a flavor for the artwork. Um, you can see the map work there that was done by Dominic, and Florian, our artist. The entire this is a gigantic 4K map that's entirely hand-drawn. Of the entire, every single thing on there is a hand-drawn a line and shading. Uh, and this map is huge. It's absolute, uh, and you are currently looking at about one fourth of the map right now. So it's uh, it's an enormous piece of work, uh, and uh, it's uh, you, so the entire site is basically a preview of the RPG. Um, and there's a lot of content there. I mean, if you look at the the blogs, the short story, your content, take it all in, you'll probably be spending you know a good day or two on the site before you absorbing content before you order to buy
0: the game. It, it's a beautiful website. Uh, it, it really is can tell a lot of time went into it. And I played around with it uh, because one of the things that I often look at uh, is whether a website is responsive, which might not be a phrase that is common to a lot of people. But basically, it just kind of means, does it play well, whether you're on a mobile device or on a desktop computer or a laptop or all that? Does it look well? uh, And how does it work with that? An easy way to tell something is responsive is if you open up a web browser and you just resize the window. (laughs) And and if it resizes and you can still do stuff without things getting cut off and it's still usable... It's responsive uh, and things should be responsive now. A day's on the
1: web. Wait, not is everything is. Mo- this is a fully mobile optimized site. In fact, most of our visitors, our uh, well, not most, I would say, we're currently just over a third of our visitors are on mobile devices, or iPads or tablets. So everything, everything responsive.
0: That is, it's fantastic. And that's how it should be. Not everyone does that,
1: <laughs> as I've learned in my experience. Uh,
0: but it matters. It really matters because uh, in the days when you could actually be out, uh, playing a game yeah. in person somewhere with people, uh, you're not going to be, most likely, not going to be lugging around a computer with you. But You might have your uh, smartphone or you might have a tablet. And being able to pull something up on the website if you need to uh, and have yeah. it right there is very important.
1: It is. isn't And every, everything is and the, the reason the site looks lovely is because the artwork. Our, our our artist duo on our site, well, on the Jordanheim universe, they do all the concert artwork for all the artwork for our web and content. Stellar pair of arms.
0: It's beautiful. Uh, it's really just simply beautiful. Do you want to talk some about your storefront? Because you have a whole yeah. uh, separate website for it, uh, WorkStore.
1: Uh, WorkStore has been soft-launched. It's been quite a mission for the last six months. So this began with, um, again, this falls into that vertical of uh, what what, are, what in this work that we're doing, how do we industry as a wider? And... Uh, I do believe that, well, even on the PC side, we've got Steam. Um, and on the tabletop side, we have Drive-Thru RPG, which have been two um, store outlets that have... Re- uh, both of these outlets uh, monopolize their industry sectors um, and both take 30-35% cut when a publisher publishes a book. Um, and whereas these guys were instrumental in the industry, uh, their efforts cannot be overstated. We do have, at this point, in both the tabletop situations, there are a lot of players. Uh, there's opportunity for lots of involved. and we're also in where a developer, a small one-man small, t- giving up 30% of their revenue just not the result in a. Living. Um, and one of the problems we want to solve with the store is how can we to provide a storefront that is so efficient, reduce that cost that as a storefront we charge the developer or the two, one we only want one pound. So <clears throat> in this case, you've got you're looking at a product that says 335. Uh, when somebody buys that product for 335 the creator gets 235 uh, and you can imagine for more premium products once this starts getting to 10 50 30 pounds they're they're holding on to a huge amount of the of that value which is exactly what we wanted and the way we've done this is by harnessing modern tech in a really good way so one thing that is somewhat hidden about works is that we have really strong technology Buried deep in the company, in the back end, that is not seen by anyone, are two stellar developers, and I myself am from 20 years. We are creating foundational technology, the stuff that's in the company, that's buried away, that's that's quite advanced. And that has allowed us to push the, the value we've gotten out of that, the benefit we pushed to the creators. So all of these, uh, these guys who are selling products in our store right now are benefiting from the one pound per download cost that they have against us. And then from the user point of view, there's also a couple of things we wanted to do here. I do think that DriveThru and Steve, despite its many, many benefits to the industry, they trained consumers in one really terrible sale price. They are only, there's so many sales that we've kind of been educated as consumers to wait for a sale to buy a product. And this in turn has caused the industry to believe that products will not sell unless they're discounted to good levels. thus precipitating that developers can't make any money, so they can't build new products. Um, And we have actually decided very boldly and possibly suicidally we'll find out over time, to have no sales. Uh, uh, We are encouraging the publishers and creators on the store to price your product fairly and sell at a fair price and create genuine value proposition. And we're also encouraging to buy at the actual face value so that the people who are working hard at these products can actually make money and create great products for us, which is really in everybody's best interest. So uh, so that, that was a really big uh, difference between other stores and our one. And then the, the second equally important one is discovery. Because if you take a look at any of the monopolized stores, there are so many products on there that it'd be impossible to discover any player. So this page you're looking at, which is our primary product discovery page, is completely random. There are no top lists. There are no lists of who's selling better than other people. There's no weighting of any kind between one person's product to another. Every single time you come to this front page, you'll be hit by an equally randomized amount of products and even our own products into that own algorithm. We do not highlight our products. Wow. <laughs> that, that is quite an undertaking you've done. It is indeed. And we are. this is currently just for tabletop RPGs, but in January, we're rolling out the PC store as well. And we're also going to be game-rich art that will be purchased in the store along with print-on-demand for both PDFs and the art stuff. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be rolling out premiums. It's a very premium-on-demand concept. I don't think demand is uh, but what we have done is teamed up with the largest print-on-demand player on, uh, on the planet, and uh, we can we can do. Uh, in fact, here is a sneak preview of the upcoming Jordanheim RPG. Ooh, nice! It is a it is a glorious product, and this is currently not available, but will be available in the next few months. And this is the quality standard of print-on-demand that you can get from the store for any book that's above twenty-four pages. It is. Fully hardcover, full color, Mohawk bound, and prints in any size from twenty-four pages upwards to any hum- any amount of hundreds of pages, and it is shipped and printed locally uh, or as locally as possible to the person do the ordering. So this is a premium uh, uh, print-on-demand version, but you're gonna get a version of the book that is in- collectible and it'll last a long time. And all of the in- in- inside pages are matte coated. You can pour liquid on it and it'll slide right. Wow,
0: <laughs> that's impressive.
1: Uh, the uh, only downside it makes it expensive especially if you're buying a big book it's going to be pretty expensive uh, but you will only need to buy it once in your life and you'll have it for the rest of you. and and that's the model we're trying to do provide in the form of print on demand
0: do you happen to have a price point uh for the print on demand Your time.
1: Uh, it kind of depends on how many units you're buying but we're assuming people are going to buy one uh, mm-hmm. so if, if you are printing and shipping in europe it's likely to wind up at the 45 to 50 pound rate okay uh, with the pdf currently at 24 or actually 20 at the, somewhere else so it's uh it, so it, it's about twice the price of the pdf so it, it's not terrible uh, but it, but it is a reasonable price uh, it's it's actually comparable in pricing too, uh, and also relatively comparable in size uh, so what what we have told our creator base to prepare for that if you're going to actively print on demand make sure you book the kind of quality standard worth it because when you're buying a product for that's 24 to 32 pages and you wind up paying maybe you know 25 30 pounds for that including shipping you really want that to be a stellar piece. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not going to enforce quality standards on on products because as a store owner be careful about the standard we want because it's ultimately there for our standard so we're not going to people doing it but we have warned and, and developers make sure you have a ready product
0: That's good um, you mentioned that people can buy Jordenheim on the work store. Is that the only place that they can purchase it?
1: It is. Our, our tabletop RPGs will be from our store. Um, however, for other players who are who are who are on our store, the the D is non exclusive. They can be stores as they want. But our products are exclusive from our store.
0: It makes sense. It's a good way to get people to come there and see all the other options that are there.
1: Indeed, we're hoping they'll discover a whole bunch of other people while they're while they're.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, so. You've already kind of touched on some of your plans for the future, but what are some other things that uh, people can expect? Uh, you mentioned okay. how the yeah, video game comes right. out in December and you have more stuff going on with Jordenheim, um, some plans for books, but going into 2021 and beginning in the end, and maybe 2022, uh, what will be coming from works?
1: Yes, well, yes, we have a lot going on. Well, uh, first of all, in the world of Bond series, as I said, the game series, uh, Blood Bond Into the Shroud will be followed by Yarl of Guilong, which is a continuation of Astrid. She comes back to um, a PC game and console game, uh, which will then also be followed by Raising Hell, which tells the story of Astrid's father in an action. will be our first multiple, um, and will be also a console title on mobile as well. Uh, and the Jordenheim uh, RPG universe is going to be expanded with two books. The World book is coming out, which is a, a whopping seventy-four page deep dive of lore into deeper than we've gone, uh, and that's going to be followed by a, well, I actually, haven't got a name for the third book yet, but it's basically going to be a combine a monster manual and a spell command. Cool. So those are already in the plans, and they're going to they're, they're going to start. You know, we'll get the PC games that are started prototyping. The books will start being from Q1 of next year onwards for a publication late 21. Uh, but perhaps the most exciting stuff I can talk about right now, because we have just this, and real teaser of this will come more closer to December, January, we're going to be launching our second universe, um, which is going to be called Katana Ra, which is a mix of true Japanese culture and cyberpunk. So... Um Augmented samurais wing guns uh, in a world that is all the folklore, magic, mayhem. That is Japanese mythology. Remarkable thing. Japanese mythology is weird. It doesn't have a mythos. just by word this folklore. Uh, it possessions, darkness, magic. Fantastic. It's Fantastic. very rarely properly. So we are going to go into as deep as we have gone with Jordanheim over the years. Uh, We're going to go into the world of Katana Ra, which is e-games over the first three to five years, along with another RPG. Uh, and that will have a complete rule set as well. Um, and then uh, uh, towards the tail end of next year, we'll announce our third universe. And we're going to stick to the universes for a while. The third universe is called Native Land, laws the American era of colonization from, and we're going to tell that part of a world, a historical setting, magical setting that again is t- about trying to what people don't talk enough about. Uh, and the mythology, and folk, and structure of of lore and stuff, and storytelling. So we have got those three universes. Those that will also roll out in PC console, three RPGs, or all the way up to. So that that block of uh, of time and content is now already blocked in, and we'll start working. So there's a lot to look forward to. Wow. <laughs>
0: He, you're putting your roadmap to good use.
1: Katana Ra we are particularly excited about. We've also got a uh, very it's a, it's a world that uh, everybody inherently likes the old uh, samurais the Japanese culture. Nothing has really properly deep dived in. And I think, think I think that that many people uh, are surprised by is how dark months it's really dark. It, it's quite fascinating because, you know Jordenheim is kind of a positive energy. Katana Ra is going to be a very dark wide youth combat and triumph and honor. And native land in bright and positive universe of uh, sexual personal story. So we across these universes, we have an enormous variety of games.
0: I'm a big fan of and You may I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, the graphic novel series Usagi Yojimbo, uh, which talks about feudal Japan with anthropomorphic animals as uh, the characters, and the main character is a, a rabbit. Uh, but a lot of the stories that pop up. Are these darker mythology uh, inspired religion inspired stories there with, uh, like you mentioned, demon possessions and comedy that come out that uh, you don't really know what it is. And it's almost like a murder mystery in some regards. Uh, And it is very dark. It can be very disturbing, uh, but really interesting, too. It's just it's a, a different way to look at things.
1: It is. I think I, because we are quite a broad uh, thinking game developer, we have to kind of appeal to. Do. We certainly expect people to cross over, but I also think that certain useful to some people and other, more so than others. Uh, not everybody enjoys it, um, hmm. and and there are different ways to tell like the story. Like from the, you've noticed, a distinct style in Blood Bond. I am now starting to prototype the first game in you and we have a bright visual style telling incredibly. So there, there's a great uh, conflict in that as well, where you embrace a certain brightness of the of that modern cartoon style that in Japanese artwork and in Japanese modern cartoons, but then underneath incredibly dark story that will sit there haunting, which is, which is kind of the kind of balance we want to set for the Japanese culture, different art styles. And our, our artists are currently working on trying to map out what art style we're going to try to use. And there's already so many different ways to go, and they're all fantastic. So it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an amazing world. We're going to be spending a lot of time on Katana Rao team months uh, because the native land is still probably a year and a half away. Uh, mm. But it's, uh, it, the next big thing we have, is the unveiling, Katana Rao. Uh, and I think it will give people who uh, a real, like a real alternative with evil fantasy to really ultra-modern, but very little cool inspired environment, structures, culture, society. It just happens to be technologically advanced. And we're, and the cyberpunk stuff is also done very differently from how cyberpunk is currently. So it's uh, it's going to be anything to unveil, and I hope. people
0: he- That's exciting. With all the things that are happening over at Works, uh, what are some of the best ways for people to keep in touch and stay up to date with all of the many different universes and the progress being made on each of the properties?
1: Right, uh, great question. I would say um, picking a social media of your choice in Twitter, Instagram, and following um, uh, Amanda. By the way, is our voice uh, <laughs> is pick, pick the the one you like best? Is the best way we do social media from, from many companies respond to what's happening in the world. Particularly, it's not we don't respond to trends. Our social media is designed to tell the stories we to tell about the company about what we do. So I think if you are, I'm not going to force anybody to follow social media. Of course, very much a personal choice. If you if you are a social media user today. Feel free to follow any of our social media, anyone will. Um, and if you are not, if you go to the Works Game site at the very bottom, there is a form you can form. Once every quarter, I will send out a hit list of stuff that has happened that you need. It's basically just one condensed email once every quarter that you will get from me that will tell you everything that's happened in the quarter before and point you in the direction. Uh, and if you are not a, a or prefer email, that's the way.
0: There are so many different social media platforms out there. Which ones are used by Works?
1: Um, we use Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but for slightly different things. I mean, as a general rule, important stuff is going to come out in all three. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say our primary platform is Twitter, um, and Twitter is good for staying up to speed on the overall uh, stuff that's going on on a frequent basis. Uh, Facebook is good as well. I know that men- uh, the Twitter-, Twitter is largely where the PC gaming crowd hangs out. Facebook is where the tabletop crowd hang out. Um, And we use these two things equivalently. So I would say it's either or. You don't need on both. We do have a Facebook page. We do have a Twitter account. Follow either Exactly the same content. Instagram is a little bit different. Um, Instagram is very heavily visually driving our art and the stories around our art we tend to be followed on instagram by artists uh, who like what our artists so if you want to embrace yourself in the visual flavor of the universe and content instagrams
0: and how would users find you on each of these platforms
1: uh we are under works games on all of them so it's it's instagram.com works games forward slash twitter or facebook
0: fantastic uh, I know, with all the different ways to spell and uh, the character limitations on usernames and things like that, uh, sometimes yeah. people it come up be, with
1: don't uh, hyphenate. <laughs> those. it works, games as one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no hyphen because you're not allowed to have hyphens, but uh, mm-hmm. so it's one word. But uh, and you'll also find links on our on our uh, on the actual. And of course, if you feel in a chatty mood, join our Discord. And there is a Discord uh, link off of our uh, website as well. And and you will access the team directly. Uh, I'm always there. and Kathy are currently there. Uh, Amanda's there. Um, There's a whole bunch of people. Uh, And in fact, quite a few of the publishers and creators that are on our store are there too. That's fantastic.
0: You have such a comprehensive picture and plan. And it is truly refreshing. (laughs) Really.
1: It, do, it does make the whole business of being a company much easier as well because no one is sitting there scratching their heads going, what do we do next? I can literally whip out the document doing that next. Right? That's helpful. It makes life a lot simpler
0: Well, and I think too, since you're a, a smaller organization, uh, you can be more nimble, uh, but there's also more pitfalls. And so having
1: plans
0: and being as prepared as you are uh, helps to further guarantee your success
1: it does and it also enables a lot of partnerships because we don't want to be going solo and one, one of the nice things in the model that we have is despite being a developer and a plan of how we build games we are partnering with other publishers to actually bring those games to market so we co-publish uh, like the PC game is being published in Europe and Americas by a German company manager and because of the way we structure how we do our development and how we do a property uh, we can share the revenue because these these partners are vital because they bring the products to market I mean, just publishing on drive through is not enough because every local country in the world has steam. And then some people want to buy online, they want to store and buy retail copies. These publishing partners, an incredible amount of value. So we're, we're trying to add more and more partners now to bring our future out in a shared fashion. It does allow us to be very clear about our mission and then also go, where can we add value? We need help and we start building it up and then everybody.
0: That's delightful. That's really such a great cooperative and collaborative way to do it. And uh, be nice if more individuals approach things in life that way
1: yes definitely working very well for us so we can recommend it heartily
0: that's wonderful well we've had such a wonderful time here to dive into all these different properties and universes and i am just really grateful for you to take the time to be scheduled to join us here at working in recon to talk about all this
1: thank you very much for the invitation Been looking forward to a while it's, it's great that we finally managed to do it and it was a great conversation i, I enjoyed it thoroughly
0: well, I want to thank everyone who's listened to this episode of Wargaming Recon. I want to remind you uh, that you should, of course, go and check out Works Games, all the stuff that they have there. Whether you're a computer gamer and you want to pick up some stuff on Steam, you want to go to the Works store and buy properties, uh, and be sure to pick up your time. You can, of course, do that. And then if you would like to, you can, of course, support Wargaming Recon. We have merch available, so you can check us out at wargamingrecon.bigcartel.com. We have t-shirts, we have polos, both in unisex men's and women's uh, designs, and we have a brand new duffel bag that would be great for lugging around, I don't know, printouts of a ur PDF, or maybe a tablet that you're going to be carrying with you to look up stuff online, some minis and dice and things like that to play some games, Uh, all at some pretty good prices, and you can check that out and get that stuff there. Uh... Thank you again for being on the show. And I just want to remind everyone that no matter how busy you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much time you're thinking, hmm, do I really want to be God-touched? I think the answer is yes. You know that you gotta, you need to, you have to keep on gaming. Are you always on the go? Why not take Wargaming Recon with you? If you use an app like Pocket Casts, you can listen to your favorite episodes of Wargaming Recon on your mobile device. Wargaming Recon is a proud member of the TSR Podcast Network. Visit wargamingrecon.com slash TSRPN for more information and to learn about the other good shows on the network. This recording is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share alike license. Many thanks to Andrew and Court for inspiring the show's name. Wargaming Recon is dedicated to the memory of longtime listener Andrew. I ask all listeners to join me in a moment of silence in memory of Andrew. Thank you to everyone who backed our 2020 podcast season on Kickstarter. In particular, I would like to thank Bob Yates, Cigar Box Battle, Enfilade Convention, Jason Elliott, leader of TSR Games, John Vogel, Led Bears Tufts, Nate Taylor of Dwarven Forge, Ryzen Phoenix GameCon, and Stefan Pekorni, founder of Dwarven Forge. We couldn't have been successful without the help of all of you. Thank you so very much, and hope you are enjoying this 2020 podcast season. Wargaming Recon is made possible by listeners like you become a patreon backer to get behind the scenes content and new episodes before everyone else starting at one dollar per month visit wargamingrecon.com slash patreon to become a patreon backer wargaming recon is proudly sponsored by the wargaming company Wish you could play a great Napoleonics war game that's different from the same old stuff? Try ESR. ESR makes Napoleonics accessible. A complete system with you as a core commander. Start an army with ESR box sets or use your existing collection. It's meaty enough for diehards, but friendly for newcomers. Visit the Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by Enfilade. Enfilade is a flagship historical wargaming convention for the Northwest Historical Miniature Gaming Society. Enfilade is held annually over Memorial Day weekend at the Red Lion Inn in Olympia, Washington. Enjoy the largest historical miniature gaming convention west of the Mississippi at Enfilade. Visit www.nhmgscitadel.com for more information. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by the Maine Historical Wargamers Association. They're the folks behind Huzzah! Historical Wargaming for New England. Huzzah takes place May 15th to the 17th, 2020 at the Doubletree in South Portland, Maine. Experience some of the best historical wargaming at Huzzah! Visit www.hazacon.com for more information.